0: glad we could reschedule to this week instead of last week with our weather. So tonight, uh, Dr. Mark Reganeris will be speaking about the economics of sex and marriage for Christians. Um, Dr. Reganeris received his PhD from UNC in 2000, taught at Calvin College, and then came to UT here in 2002. He studies um, sex, um, religion, and family, and is the author of Forbidden Fruit and Premarital Sex in America.
1: why I could be here with you. It's been like six years since I was here. I don't know if anybody was here when I was here last. Or Mary Jane had forgotten. Greg, maybe, did you remember? Yeah, it was here, right here. 2004, I think. Bob might have been here. Yeah. Um, all right, so I'm going to talk tonight a little bit about, uh, sort of distill some of what's in that cream-colored book to you this come, this came from a text that I had actually written, uh, or several chapters of which um, I floated it to uh, a Christian press, and they sort of trying to say h- how I can describe what's in that book and make it of use to Christians, and, and they said they didn't want it, so um, it goes unpublished. But. I'll float some of it by you today. Maybe after today you'll decide that you know why it wasn't published. (laughs) All right, so I'm just going to launch into this. And I don't mind if people ask questions along the way or if you want to save your questions. It doesn't doesn't matter to me. Um, All right, so I'm going to start with seven sort of bullet point news flashes. Waiting until marriage to have sex is harder than ever before. and it's now pretty uncommon. Why is that? Despite women's gains in many domains, men control the sexual world more than ever. Why is that? If sex supposedly takes a relationship to the next level, why does it often slow it down? Christian women endure more psychological angst and guilt about sex than Christian men. Why is that? Porn is not going away, and it has altered how men and women relate. How so? What to do? Why do Christian women get more attention from unreligious men than from Christian men? I don't say things that aren't true. Uh, Nearly all Christian singles want to marry, but fewer are doing so, and later than ever before. Why is that? All right, so... While people can do all things through Christ who strengthen, strengthens them as a social scientist, I'm always most curious about what people actually do and why. People are not free to do exactly as they pleased, at least not to the degree that we tend to think they can. So a dose of realism can help illuminate our free will idealism. I think we're at a risk of moving into an era where in only an elite Small majority, not minority. I mean, it'll be over half, but an elite gets married and has children in the order and pace they want. Okay, in an order and pace they want. So, uh, no, the sky is not falling. But as the surrounding sexual culture continues to deteriorate, Christians are finding themselves increasingly challenged to live the kinds of lives they want to. God bless Joshua Harris. But kissing, dating, goodbye has backfired on lots of women, frankly. It is not all his fault. He had a lot of help from the Gift of Singleness movement. Not on purpose, of course. I believe his intentions were noble. But the raised bars and the heightened expectations about male-female relationships has created a swelling pool of Christian men who fear that they have to decide about their future with a particular woman before ever asking her out to coffee. As well as a tidal wave of women who pray for their future husbands and expect to be courted during an era where fewer people are marrying at all. And those that are getting married tend to be getting married at older ages. So as a result, a majority of young adult Christians are hamstrung in commencing romantic relationships that may or may not move into marriage because there's too much pressure placed on what they look like and how they start, and what they feel like. I don't think it's good. In its wake, there's a lot of hand-wringing and talk of God's will, and that has left many people feeling emotionally and spiritually drained. I don't buy such talk for a moment. If marriage is a normative state for Christians, a normative state meaning... The average state, and I argue that it is, doesn't mean it's ideal or to be expected, but it's normal. Then we must be about the business of making these things happen, especially for people who want them to happen. Figuring out why we've stalled is a critically important start. The answers lie not in the will of God, but in the work of modern human beings and contemporary social structures. Okay, I'm not going to talk about developing a theology of sex and marriage. That has been done more times than I can count. And I would dare not tread in minefields like that. I don't think my perspective is unorthodox, though. So I write as a social scientist who sees things about the social world, uh, things like markets and collective expectations and threshold effects that clergy and counselors simply are oblivious to. And I don't blame them. I mean, that's not their thing. So. What I do is about what Jesus meant when he told his disciples that he was sending them out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Meaning, be smart about the world around you and how it works. So, despite the rising age of marriage, many single young Americans, especially but not only Christians, say they wouldn't mind being married. Um, National representative data that I've crunched, 20% of single women between age 20 and 25 no, I'm sorry, 20% of men single men between 20 and 25 say they'd like to be married right now but they're not 30% of women say the same thing when I cut that into devoutly religious men and women 47% of the women say I would like to be married right now but they're not 35% of men, right? 47 to 35 so there's a gap but it's not remarkably large We're talking about a lot of people, significant minorities, between 20 and 25 who say, I would like to be married right now, and I'm not, right? It's interesting. So something does not compute here. I'm frustrated that so many American young adults say they'd like to be in this place, and yet they and the adults and the institutions around them can't seem or don't want to make that happen. All right. So a few words now about uh, the unrealistic pressure about dating and marriage in the Christian community. Christian discourse on sex is very conservative today. By discourse, I mean the things that people say and the stuff that they write. I mean, I hear about norms like no kissing, side hugs only, try not to be alone together, don't think of praying together, don't date unless they seem to be marriageable material. This current situation is almost unrecognizable to me I'm only 20 years removed from my Christian college experience, but I was dating and smooching my wife almost the entire time. (laughs) We went out to dinner, frequently. And no, that didn't obligate me to marry her. We broke up a couple times. Got back together. (laughs) Nor did it obligate her to sleep with me. And kissing didn't naturally carry us off into the bedroom. Because so many people assume it does. People watch too many movies. (laughs) In fact, uh, I started scoping out relationship possibilities as soon as my parents dropped me off. (coughs) Freshman year. The first one I took a liking to turned out to be a distant cousin. (laughs) Strike one. The second was my wife's roommate. She was an enemy. Strike two. The third one worked out great. And continues to. So, I contrast that experience, which felt normal at the time. And how students describe to me the dating scene today raises the question for me, what is going on? Are young Christians setting an impossibly high bar for each other? If so, why? Or has the dating context around them changed radically and affected them? Additionally, um, a criticism of the courtship idea is that it's elite by its nature, right? Only a few seem to get it, to attain it, and yet very many will idealize it. As a result, a, a lot of young adult Christians are hamstrung from commencing romantic relationships that may or may not move into marriage, because there's too much pressure placed on them to, on how they start, what they look like, what they feel like. It's not good. So the dating scene on uh, Christian college campuses reflects this too. I realize that esteeming marriage can make the dating scene laden with pressure, but that doesn't have to be the case. Too many Christians have become uh, so primed with these courtship messages that they don't even go on a date, or even, not even for coffee, until they've generated some sense of the future possibility here. Unfortunately, in the era of Facebook, Heightened personal information about everything is what we have. So there's always fodder for speculation about the future with the person. Too much information we have. Too much information to go on. This is not good. Men and women make up their minds about each other without getting to know each other. Um, Just as an example of that, uh, I had a student, uh, uh, an unreligious Muslim today, who I had in my previous class, uh, she came and talked to me, and she talked to me about this fellow who she had met in the fall and didn't really like him. She was still attracted to this baseball player type. Anyways, I said, well, just give the guy, you know, give the guy another date or two, you know. And then, sure enough, a few more dates, she has fallen head over heels for this fellow. Now she doesn't know if. He likes her. Anyways, what I'm saying is not everything can be known by date number one or even date number two. All right. So Facebook profiles are not really real. Okay. I realize that can come as a shock. They're managed, and you do the managing. Men and women can both be much better than their Facebook profiles suggest, and much worse. <laughs> Um, But it doesn't matter. Young adults make many, many judgments based on such limited information. As a result, a lot of men and a lot of women never get the chance to make it past that Facebook glance. So, while Joshua Harris may have uh, done us a modest favor in reminding single Christians that they shouldn't pursue romantic relationships flippantly, pragmatically his advice has not helped make more marriages happen. I think, uh, on the contrary, I think it's created reticence to get to know people. So, have young Christians become so obsessed with guarding their hearts that they've stopped asking each other out? Is the dating culture around us so oversexed that Christians withdraw for fear of sending the wrong signal? Into that social and dating vacuum have waltzed unbelievers who have both no intention to marry someone they date on average, and most importantly, no qualms whatsoever asking them out. As a result, Christian young men and women, especially women, now often receive a lot more romantic interest from outsiders than from insiders. I'm not surprised in the least, given this sort of wrenching decision-making we have to do with uh, before you even go on the first date. Unbelievers have no such reticence. Like, <clears throat> fine, I'll ask her This is how the not how the courtship movement wanted things to work out, but I think it's exactly how they have. Alright. Moving more into sort of the subject of this book. Um, the price tag we put on sex. Um, Lauren Winter, she's a Christian writer. She wrote a book called Real Sex. It will far outsell mine totally because. She gives people advice. I don't really give people too much advice. Um, she interviewed a campus pastor at a large southern university, probably Duke or UNC. He lamented to her that fewer and fewer students hold on to purity and chastity. She's probably right. When she asked him what he thought, why he thought that was the case, he pointed to the diminished authority of Scripture. He said, it all comes back to the implications of the authority of Scripture. They don't get it, students so they don't apply it. In other words, she writes, he suspects that students are biblically illiterate, so one could hardly expect them to take seriously the words of books they don't read. Okay? He could be right, and I'm certainly not disagreeing that, about the biblical illiteracy thing, but I think there's a, a lot more to the story of human sexual, sexual motivation than this. Just because I value my health, and I'm aware that the FDA thinks potato chips and candy bars are bad for me, doesn't mean I like to have them from time to time. Lots of Christians not only affirm the authority of Scripture, but they read it too. They know what it says, and yet many of them stumble over sex, more than ever before. So accounting for sexual actions can become complicated and frustrating. Lots of books for Christians about sex spend inordinate time reminding us of the beauty of sexual chastity. We get it. But when I look around, it's not happening. Our wishes and our ideals don't seem to alter the world around us, which is the one that we have to live in. People are not free to do exactly as they please, at least not in the way we tend to think of free will. We are constrained by the structured expectations around us. doesn't mean we don't have choice, but we sure make choices in a, in a setting of constraint. Free will with a little help, is always better than free will by itself. Underneath all the beauty and idealism about sex and marriage lie some basic realities that none of us gets to avoid. One of the biggest unacknowledged facts about sex is the underlying economy to it. Once I started looking at it, I was amazed by how it works. We really do put a price tag on sex. You might think we shouldn't, but we do. Sex is an exchange, to use an economic term. Each person gives the other something of themselves. But it's typically a different something. Since men on average are more more drawn, on average, to the powerful physical pleasures of sex than women are. It's not always the case, but it's most of the time. Physical pleasure is often not the primary reason women pursue sex. For women, the sex itself is a means, at least as often as it is, an end. It is not politically correct to say that, uh, but it's true. Women and men tend to show different levels of interest in sex, and they experience it differently. Men initiate it more often. They are more permissive than women. They connect romance to sex less less often. They masturbate more. They are slower to make commitments. I'm not saying that that's good. I'm saying that it's true. Women, on the other hand, tend to be more malleable sexually. They are far more likely to change their mind about sexual matters. They tend to go without sexual activity for longer periods of time. It's been observed that they do better in foreign countries with very different sexual norms than men from the West do. In the world of sex, men and women are just different an acquaintance of mine uh, humorously observed, the libidos of perfectly ordinary men, when fully understood by women, seem deformed or disreputable to them. Where am I going with this? Hang on. So men want sex. What a revelation. In other words, she has what he wants. Thus, she possesses something of value to him. But the very same thing, sex, isn't really of value to her in the same way, frankly. Take a look at the world of prostitution. Men will pay women for sex. Men will pay men for sex. Women will not pay men for sex. They just don't. That's a good thing. So accessing accessing sex costs men something. They typically have to give something in order to get it. Thankfully, that something is not usually money. But when Christians talk to their teenagers and their young adults about giving their spouse their virginity as a gift, we come face-to-face with this imbalanced economy that women are not seeking sex from men in quite the same way that men are from women. In fact, I think the virginity as gift idea really only works when you're talking about women. While it's certainly true that women can value their future husband's virginity. It's just not quite the same. That is why I'm not really a fan of the gift language about sex. It doesn't work well for talking about men's sexuality, because what men typically offer in the sexual exchange is not primarily their bodies. Again, I'm not dealing here in the realm of what ought to be, but in the reality of what is. It works the same in marriage, too. When I announce to my wife that I have something special I'd like to give her tonight, she rolls her eyes. Okay? It just doesn't work the same way. Maybe you think I should just stick to talking about sex in uh, more romantic or distinctively biblical ways. Two becoming one flesh. A profound mystery. Christ and his church. I can do that. And it would be true. But other Christian books and have talked about that subject more profoundly than I can. Uh, but what I'm also telling you is is, is also true. Okay? It may be unromantic. It is not unbiblical. In fact, a sexual economy, a very patriarchal sexual economy, is clearly in the background as the Mosaic laws give it to most. Even God recognizes that men are the primary pursuers of sex. Leviticus 18. Check out all the unlawful sex. Do not dishonor your father by having sexual relations with your mother. Do not have sexual relations with your father's wife, with your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter. Do not have sexual relations with your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter. Don't have sexual relations with the daughter of your father's wife. Do not dishonor your father's brother by approaching his wife to have sexual relations. That's your aunt. Do not approach a woman to have sexual relations during the uncleanness of her monthly period. Do not have sexual relations with your neighbor's wife and defile yourself with her. Okay? There are others in that list, but you get the point. Women simply weren't considered to be the sexual risk-takers that men were and often still are. Nor were they considered amply empowered to resist the advances of men. Thus, most of these thou shalt nots were directed at men. The times have changed, though, since then. We don't occupy such a patriarchal sexual economy anymore. But make no mistake, today's sexual economy is no less dominated by men. I'm not suggesting that all men always direct the course of their relationships. They don't. Women still break up with them. But what young men tend to wish for, sex, preferably with not a whole lot of strings, certainly seems to carry the day today. When I study the sexual relationships of young Americans, Christian and otherwise, but certainly outside the church, it is obvious to me that the relationships and the rules about them clearly favor men and what they want in relationships, even while what they're offering in return seems to have diminished. Let me explain how this works. Think about real estate. okay? Real estate. The idea of today's marriage and sex markets, I think of them in different ways, Uh, is best captured by drawing an analogy. Just like selling a house is not a simple transaction between two parties, but is instead connected to the local economy and the housing market and supply and demand forces, so too all sex and pretty much all marrying that goes on within the community is actually interconnected. You can try to gloss over the sex and marriage markets with talk about divine will for your life, but both are still very real and will remain quite influential. So, back to the real estate. You can't simply decide that your house is worth half a million dollars and expect to get that if all the houses around you of comparable size and looks are going for 200000 thousand. All right? It just doesn't work you're unlikely to get that price. You can certainly try for it. You can hold out and see what happens. Back when the marriage and sex markets were more tightly connected, (coughs) as recently as 50 years ago, it was understood by both men and women that in order for him to have sex with her, he had to pay a high price. (coughs) Marriage preferably. Maybe engagement was enough. This doesn't mean our grandparents didn't mess around. Okay? I know my grandfather was not a virgin when he married my grandmother, who was also not a virgin, because my uncle was born less than nine months after they were married. In general, though, the average woman could count on seeing evidence of real commitment before sex. If she didn't, and she got pregnant, as was the case with them, her father might step in into the role of guarantor, Thus is born the shotgun wedding. (laughs) It doesn't often work like that anymore because the marriage market and the sex markets are now quite distinct. They overlap, but not nearly as much as they used to. Why? Because there's a lot of reasons for it, but the advent of the pill is the central one. I'm neither praising it nor cursing it here. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But the simple fact that pregnancy can be easily prevented now has more than Any social change made having sex and committing to marry two altogether different things today. Lots of sexual partners don't have to give a thought to marriage or even serious relationship commitment anymore. They just don't have to. So there are a lot of people out there, more men than women, who are fine with having sex without giving thought to getting married. There are fewer people and more women than men who are ambivalent about the idea and would prefer to begin their sexual relationship only after getting married. Okay? I presume that, was, that is you, or that was you, or that you wish it were you. But the fact that the sex market and the marriage market are two different entities today tends to make it hard for people, especially women, to marry without having some sexual experience. It's possible, it's, just, it's more difficult than it used to be. It also tends to punish women who hold out for the highest price. No sex before marriage. How did this happen? And how do I know that this is the case? For starters, sex is never just a private matter between two people. Never, ever, ever. People are always looking around and listening to friends and peers, trying to figure out if their own experience is normal, wondering what they can or should expect. From their boyfriend or girlfriend what they should or shouldn't do based on what they know and what they presume that other people do in church youth groups and christian colleges and maybe groups like this there's a ton of talks about like what's okay what's too far but just as important as just as important as the quest to find out what's normal people want to know what other people are doing, not just what they, they know they ought to be doing. It is not a Christian standard, this normal business, by any means. But people desperately want to be like other people. Right? It is not a standard. It's a standard I certainly understand. There's the law and there's the norm. And both matter to Christians. I think the norm matters more to them, generally speaking, than the law on average. In other words, when a young Christian woman decides to sleep with her equally devout boyfriend, they are not simply and only yielding to temptation. Okay, there is that. But they're also abiding by local sexual market norms, dynamics, and rules. They've figured that it was socially normal to do so. And they want to be normal at least as much as they want to be holy. I get that. Our decisions are always more complicated than simply thwarting the right thing and choosing the wrong. So, let's start out with the notion that the average committed Christian young adult would like, at least in principle, to avoid having sexual intercourse until they get married. Okay? They may or may not accomplish that, but let's presume for the moment that that's what they want. Okay? How can they have confidence both that they can and will abstain from sex and that they will get married women have more control over the first thing happening sex they tend to function as gatekeepers men have more control over the second thing happening the offers of marriage abstinence is a challenge for sure but getting married is no guarantee these days in other words can a woman set a price for herself And have confidence that a good man will pay it. Many wonder, will I set such a high price and there will be no one? It is a very common fear today, and for good reason. So you might think that being physically attractive is the one thing that can guarantee marrying. But that is not true, not by a long shot. It guarantees sexual interest. Nobody's questioning that. It doesn't guarantee marriage. In fact, lots of things affect how high someone sets the price of sex and can expect to get that price in today's markets. Remember, the sex market and the marriage market do not overlap as much as they used to. That is, we know that some women and men can insist on avoiding sex until marriage and still absolutely expect they'll get married. Others hope. Others wonder. Others worry. So what raises or lowers the price of sex for people? Several things. How badly someone wants a particular woman. He will be more willing to be patient. His competition. If multiple men are interested in a particular person, they are more apt to abide by her terms. Her competition. If he's desired by other women, they'll do what he wants. Her attractiveness, if she's very attractive, she should be able to get what she wants. Her sex drive, if it's high, it's unlikely that she'll wait. That is, it's unlikely that she'll charge the highest price. Her alternate access to resources, and this is a huge one her alternate access to resources, you know, good education, stable work, etc., friends. If she doesn't need him, waiting makes less sense. I think that's where we're at today. Let's admit it, Christians seldom ever resist these basic factors that shape marriage. The beautiful tend to marry the beautiful, while the more homely of us hope for the best we can get. We can gloss (laughs) it over with all sorts of pious rhetoric, but at bottom, a marital match is subject to a lot of factors that are common to the human condition. Christians and non-Christians alike tend to pair off and marry at about their level of attraction, neither scoring someone out of their league nor dipping too far into the bottom of the barrel. It is what it is. Some of the factors that lower or raise the price of sex have nothing to do with these individual level traits that I was talking about, but with the world around them. Things like sex ratios, When there's a larger pool of women than men, it creates more competition for rarer men. Men win. The price of sex generally goes down. So there's a big problem in Christian colleges these days, where it's like two to one sometimes. Larger pool of men than women, like Georgia Tech, creates more competition (laughs) for her. She wins. Men have easy access to porn today. It lowers the price of sex for all women because it provides all men with an alternative. Female collusion to restrict men's access to women. All women benefit. We do not have that today. I'll readdress that later. The cartel among women has broken (laughs) when the sexual norms around us are permissive as they most certainly are it makes it difficult for people to wait i think you get the picture there's a lot to navigating the young adult years hoping to remain chaste uncertain whether you'll meet the right kind of person whether that person will feel the same way about you add to this self-image issues Real or perceived attractiveness or lack thereof. Competition. Pressure to achieve in relationships and school and career preparation. Permissive norms. Lots of people who treat relationships like games. Wrap that up into an emerging adult world wherein men and women aren't even thinking about marrying until the mid to late 20s, and you can see what's going to happen. A lot of sex that has nothing to do with marriage. Christians are not immune to any of this. We are not cloistered. We occupy the same social world. When the average young adult in America has a series of sexual relationships before getting serious about marrying, which is true, the average young adult, everyone is affected. A Christian woman who prefers chastity will have a more difficult time locating someone who understands what she wants, who values that, and who's willing to pay her price. Instead, she winds up feeling like she has to compete for a rare good man. But when women compete for men, the price of sex only diminishes. What a conundrum. Why all this focus on women? Nearly everyone, from feminists to fundamentalists, seems to hate double standards in the domain of sexual behavior. We must treat men and women the same, we must hold them to the same sexual standards. No exceptions. I understand that impulse. And I am not going to try to subvert the dominant paradigm here and suggest that we wink at young men. There will, however, always be a double standard. It has always been and always will be. Why? Because women have more at stake in sex than men do. They just do. Until I say, until men can get pregnant, there will be a double standard about sex. There's more emotional vulnerability and risk for women in sex, more potential physical consequences, pregnancy, some STIs she is easier she easier to acquires than he does. Some STIs don't affect him at all, and they can affect her. Okay. And as I said earlier, men tend to pursue sex more single-mindedly than do women. That's why there has always been and will be a double standard. I am not affirming it. I'm telling you why it exists. And that it will be here. If my wife and I had equally colorful sexual histories, she would feel more guilt about hers than I would about mine. Christian guilt about sexual sin is not randomly distributed by gender. Perhaps it should be, but it isn't, and it won't be. As a result of the double standard, women read more about sex than men. They talk about it more among their friends. All of this in of the fact that they want it less, think about it less, and initiate it less than men do. In fact, I tend to think that women are the only people who actually buy and read through books on sex, which is why Christian books on sex always sell great,
2: <laughs>
1: especially ones written by women.
2: <laughs>
1: um, if the average woman would prefer to have sex within a committed relationship, like marriage to a man she deeply loves, then accomplishing that can be more perilous for her than for him. His resolve to be faithful only to her is weaker on average than hers. How do we know this? Okay. I'll just float you one study. Actually, I'll float you two things that I mentioned in the book. There was an interesting social science study it's been uh, talked about a fair amount, where um, men and women, a track of men and women, went around on a college campus and made offers to strangers, college students, opposite sex strangers, um, about one of three things. The most relevant, which is, would you sleep with me tonight? And they found that 75% of the men who were approached said, okay. Not a single woman said yes. <laughs> Not a single woman. Um, what's the uh, Craigslist? Okay? Craigslist casual relationship section, which apparently got congressmen in trouble the other day. Okay? I went on December 2009 and tallied up the requests for a men to women for casual sex. 166 on one day 3 from women to men okay? you can see there's some serious imbalance here All right, I can attest to this my wife and I didn't actually have intercourse before we got married why? I could try to convince you because I'm not that kind of person I wouldn't do that I'm a gentleman who am I kidding because she didn't want to Sure, intellectually, I wanted to wait, but I doubt I would have protested too much if she was willing. Christian men may have above-average self-control, but they tend not to have as much as women. Her no tends to be more powerful than his no. I'm not exempting Christian men from sexual responsibility. I'm just telling you how things work. If this was the end of the story, then we could easily conclude that Christian women are simply more moral than men in the domain of sex. But there's more to it. Women may be the gatekeepers, but the price of sex is negotiated. Seldom is it entirely up to her. For example, if women are gatekeepers, and I hold that they are, and they want to have more commitment for men, well, then why aren't we seeing more commitment? It's not entirely up to her. It's negotiated, sometimes verbally, sometimes silently, often using nonverbal cues between two individuals in the social context of the prices that other similar couples set. This is why figuring out what other people do is a big deal to people. They want to know what they ought to do, what they can do, and what others are, in fact, doing. For example, a 17-year-old boy might tell his girlfriend of one year that he would like to get to know her better she may not be exactly sure what he means by that but she might have a pretty good clue she could ask for clarification but she probably won't if she replies I'm just not ready to go there yet that's her way of saying the price is higher than you think it may or may not spawn subsequent conversations about when she thinks she'll be ready if it does that is his effort to discern just how high the price is. More time, more commitment, that's the negotiation process. Sometimes the negotiation is one-sided. She, or he less commonly, declares that there will be no sex before we get married. But given the heat of future moments, negotiations can find themselves reopened and subject to review, or thrown off altogether, like clothing. A Christian friend of mine is a successful professor at a distinguished university. She's attractive. She is not married, but she'd like to be. We had lunch at a conference last year. She told me that while she was in graduate school, she dated three different men, all Christians. She liked them each for different reasons. They liked her. They wanted her. She expressed to them that her price was high, the highest. They each commended her for that. They thought that was noble. They respected it. Who wouldn't respect that? But each in turn confessed they couldn't go there with her. They couldn't do it. They couldn't pay such a steep price. Couldn't? Wouldn't. Because they don't have to. Which brings us to a critically important fact. If women were squarely in charge of how their their romantic relationships transpired, we would be seeing, on average, greater male investment longer relationships, more impressive wooing efforts, the demise of the hookup, fewer premarital sex partners, shorter cohabitations, more marrying going on and at an earlier age. In other words, the price of sex would be higher. It would cost men more to access it. Instead, none of those things are occurring. None. Zippo. The price of sex is very low. But why should it matter, since we are going to hold out for a highest price, marriage, right? Well, particular prices, no doubt, vary widely among the unmarried, from little or nothing to dinner or a date or some extended attention and compliments or to a commitment to being in an exclusive relationship or some particular duration, three months, six months, a year, two years, Christian women are hardly exempt from charging low prices. In fact, a while back, I counseled a Christian student here who gave away six months' worth of sex to a football player for nothing except being with a football player. She knew she wasn't his girlfriend. It was morally wrong, of course. She could recognize that. It was also unbelievably foolish and one-sided. That is, I told her, you're worth more than this, right? From an economic standpoint. She started crying. Okay, I wasn't surprised. Most women do charge more than this, as they ought. Some of them inform their boyfriends that sex must wait until they're engaged, which seems to be common, or until marriage, the maximum price. A sealed, lifetime promise to share all of his wealth and affections with her exclusively. It is uncommon today, even in the church. It's become socially more difficult, not just personally more challenging, to withhold sex before marriage, for two reasons. First, because other people's sexual choices matter. Collectively, they function as a powerful constraint on our own behavior. Men and women aren't very free to do as they please because choice disappears when the vast majority of men and women are all doing the same thing I mean, we are social creatures remember in other words if men and women if, if most men and women in the pool of potential mates enjoy an extended series of relationships and expect sex fairly promptly within them and I guarantee you that that is the pool today then it becomes really challenging For a small minority to thwart that they have to search for a partner who fits what they want what they charge so to speak amid a pool of people for whom the price of sex has not stayed stable it's diminished considerably christians and non-christians we occupy the same social world we meet each other we work with each other we know each other observe each other so in a practical sense christians and everybody else are in the same pool. So in a social world where many relationships begin with sex or add it shortly thereafter, Christian women in particular are at a disadvantage. So what happened? How did we get here? Here's where my unromantic but true account becomes even more disturbing, I'm afraid. Our contemporary sexual behavior patterns in the West, alarming as they are to many of us, are not simply the fault of culture gone bad. I don't think it's a simple function of growing biblical illiteracy, although that would help. We overestimate how moral our grandparents were in their hearts. They very well would have acted like us if they'd had the opportunity to. They didn't. We do. Their choices were more constrained and they required more sacrifice. Marriage protected women economically in a way that it doesn't today. Men needed to offer that protection in order to access sex and children. That is not our world today. And it's not simply because of lack of will. 50 years ago last year, the pill gets introduced. The advent of the hormonal birth control pill in the 1960s, the single most powerful thing It has altered relationships between men and women, hands down. It brought what economists economists call a technological shock to the system, to the social system. Things did not change overnight. That's not how things change. No social change of significance ever does. Things didn't even change a whole lot over a few years. Although certainly the pill began doing its job of regulating women's periods, preventing pregnancies from occurring. Wives could begin to have the number of children they want. Okay? All of that is true. My wife and I made use of the pill at various times in our marriage. I am not going to stake a claim in this book about its wisdom for married couples. I will, however, defend one claim vehemently. The pill greatly reduced the price of sex. I realize that condoms have been around longer than the pill, and they work fairly well in preventing pregnancy but the two are experientially very different. Few people, especially men, like using condoms. Think about this. If women's fertility depended entirely on their own calculations of pregnancy and risk and timing, that is, without birth control, how different would relations between men and women be today? There would be a lot less hooking up. Relationships would be less quick to become sexual, Women would be more insistent on relational commitment. The things that you want as women would be more consonant with the things that other women want. A Harvard-trained economist friend of mine documented not only how the pill reduces family size among married users, something we all expected, but it's actually increased non-marital childbearing. The pill increases non-marital childbearing How does that work? The pill creates more births? Huh? Back to the cost of sex. Before the pill, unmarried couples often married because sex was both desirable and yet simply too risky. The threat of pregnancy is just too great. In the era of the pill, however, sex is no longer so risky. Untold millions, billions, no longer needed to marry in order to enjoy sex. But the pill isn't 100% fail-safe. Pregnancies still occur. People misuse the pill. People forget pills. But now they're increasingly happening within a social environment in which marriage isn't nearly so socially expected. The shotgun wedding has all but disappeared. I'm not going to defend it, but this economist is right. While the pill does its job, The amount of premarital sex going on has just skyrocketed. When it fails, or when people don't use it right, and pregnancy results, as it will for some, we should not be surprised to see more non-marital childbearing, and that is exactly what we're seeing in the United States. 41% of all births today are out of wedlock. One other factor has driven down the price of sex for everyone, Christians included. This one, too, has been welcomed by lots of us as well. It's women's participation, both in higher education and the labor force. I am not going on record as saying I'm opposed to either one of those things. I affirm both of them. They're welcome things. And yet, not, they're not without at least one unintended consequence. Women's successes in the past 50 years, which have correlated with the pill, no doubt, has created a world in which they no longer need men or marriage to survive and thrive. They want men and marriage, but you don't need men in marriage. and marriage. There's a big difference between wanting it and needing it. Women will marry less if they can afford to. And they can, more than ever before. Their successes are profound. of college students today are women, 43% are men. This is a radical reversal of where we were 30 or 40 years ago, and it's also a product of their success. Presuming that people are attracted to people who who are like them educationally, it means people are looking for secure relationships and it becomes threatened because the sex ratio imbalance is so profound. Right. So when there are more men than women in a pool, that makes commitment more difficult to get. It's a terrible environment, in fact, to to try to get men to commit. Women wind up competing with each other. Not necessarily to marry, because they're not necessarily interested in marriage. But they compete with each other to attract men. How do you compete with each other? Sex appeal is the way people think to get their attention. This is exactly the opposite of the cartel effect that I was telling you about, where women would say, all right, we need to band together and artificially restrict the price of sex and push it high, even if we don't feel like it, even if we like sex, in order to extract things from men. Once upon a time, women would shame each other for selling low You just don't see that anymore today. I could go on, but I'm going to stop there. I've given you plenty of material to (laughs) chew on, and uh, I'm happy to take questions and tomatoes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hello.
3: in the beginning about how Christian men are less likely to ask out Christian women because of the, the many pressures that they see in that situation.
1: They're just not as there's there's not the urgency that there yeah. once was.
3: And also that there's a higher percentage of Christian women who are interested in getting married uh younger. So what do you recommend? Do you have any recommendations yeah. about what should do killing.
1: in that situation? Yeah. What who should do? Women. Yeah. You know, recommendations are not my strong point. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm not
1: hopeful, frankly. I'm not hopeful. I'm hopeful about individuals' opportunities. And I, I, I mean, you know, what Greg and Mary and Jane do here is a helpful thing, right? It's, it, it's interacting social networks and so that people can meet each other. That's a very good thing to do. Um, but you're, I mean, this is a minority pool, right? And the pool of wider, but the marriage pool, is, sex pool, all that is out there surrounding you, and you're a minority wanting things that are inconsonant with what the vast majority of people want and the timing they want it, which really makes it hard. If I had any sort of way of designing this, it would be um, more hands on concern and interest in making people meet other people. Does that make sense? Because you're trying to cross people who have similar pricing and similar values, so to speak. Like, so the, the, the less often you spend seeing what's out there, which we know the price is low, and the more often you <laughs> intermingle among people for whom pricing is higher and you know it, well, that's more likely to work. Right, the problem still is that um it i mean it, it's an imperfect system, okay, partly because there are things that have pulled down the price of sex for everybody uh so one of my theories, and I don't know how to test this very well is um you know, I had Sports Illustrated swimming suit issue when I was a teenager that's all I had to look at in terms of scantily clothed women and it made me want a real woman more i don't know that porn today functions quite that way i think it slows things down for men um, and i don't know how that's going to change so i think it just sort of it takes the libido down a bit i mean I'm only comparing it to myself in college, right? You know, I think it pulls the average man, Christian or otherwise, their their libidos down and slows them down. Of course, so women feel like they have to compete with this or something. But when women add sex to a relationship early, that slows it down. I mean, that takes the the thing of value that he's after at some level, right? I mean, he's after lots of things, but. This thing is important to him, and you've traded away early in a relationship? That's like the stupidest thing you could do economically, right? To to acquire what you might want. So I'm not optimistic. There are things you can do at micro scales that help. Good question.
2: <laughs> um,
1: that's a great question. I mean, we homeschool in no small part because the, the I think the atmosphere in Austin public schools is poisonous in terms of children's relational and sexual and human development. Uh, so uh, we have opted out of that system, um, and it, there are other reasons I'm not crazy about the educational system in general, but um, that's one of them. That's one positive byproduct of, of getting out. Um, the thing I like, I mean, I i want our kids to be able to experience the sort of Christian college world that we did. Uh, at the same time, I'm like, I realize you know, my alma mater has swung more, I mean, the the, the, the sex ratio has gotten worse there than balance. Okay? Uh, I'm not going to I'm going to try to not have my daughter go there because two men, two women for every man. I mean, the odds of coming out of there with a spouse are really slim, right? Or somebody that you're interested in. And, I mean, it used to be that's what you did at college. I mean, there were so many marriages that took hold there, right? Because it's a natural social network. Um, so not only, I think, do fewer people marry coming out of college when the sex ratio is off kilter, the relationships can be kind of weirder and because they operate in a this sort of rich choice for men kind of sphere where he's pressured less than he was in, in an era when the sex ratio was more balanced or even in her favor so yeah it's a you know you do, I don't worry about my son quite the same way so it's, it's
4: well actually we when our sons went off to high school, public high school in Austin, and one of them is sitting right here, we had to actually alert them to the fact that women now are sexual predators in a way that they never used to be right and one of the things that, that is a real catch for a woman is a guy who's godly and says no and so they're they
1: It's a, it's a strange. The landscape totally changed for women. And some of that is, yeah, some of it is culture change, no doubt. But some of it is sort of this dynamic of women competing with other women. That is just poisonous, (laughs) right? (laughs) And you know, not, not too far back in there is the pill. And you know, we have made our peace with the pill uh, as a Christian community in this country. And it is not without significant concessions, I think.
4: My obstetrician, I had a long talk with him about that, and he said that the pill (coughs) separated the procreative aspect of sex from the recreational aspect so that sex could become strictly a recreational activity. Um, And that's where you had the sexual landscape change, when it was strictly recreational.
1: Yeah. I mean, if it, if, from my perspective, it just takes the price out or it just sends it, you know, into the, to the floor because there's, the risk is gone. So when the risk is gone, more people will take advantage of it. And I get that, right? I mean, we've gotten exactly what we've plotted for, you know, technologically speaking. It's just we don't like where it got us in some ways, right?
4: It seems like I've seen this anecdotally. I'd like to know if, if you've seen it actually really happen this way. But it seems like uh, young Christian men uh, more and more uh, are, are idealizing women in such a way that they're scared to talk to them, that they don't know the appropriate way to, to initiate with women or to, uh, or to interact right. with women them.
1: I don't know beyond anecdotal if that's, like, true. Um, I think it, it. some of this is about sort of this altered landscape of communication, right? I mean, I happen to grow up in the world of the cold call, right, where you had to speak with a woman. Otherwise, you know, if she was going to go out with you, you had to have a conversation with her, right? So it forced me to be articulate, right, and to get some skills. Okay. <laughs> men don't have men don't, men don't have to do that today. They text women. I convinced this woman in my office that, you know, she wanted to clarify the relationship with this guy. I'm like, please do not do it over texting. Okay. <laughs> because it's so it's it's easy, it's simple and it, it's safe emotionally even though I think when we put ourselves in risky territory emotionally we you grow as human beings and you gain confidence and sometimes confidence just comes over time too so I think there's some truth to that I think reasons for it are several plus I mean Back to the swimsuit issue. If you grow up knowing exactly what women look like naked, talking to a real one gets a little tricky. Right? I mean, it's. Yeah. That is a different dynamic than 20 years ago. 20 years ago, it was a great mystery. You had to. Women were mysterious. Now I think there's this sort of. this wall of unmystery that we, men have created about them.
5: <laughs> um
1: it's depressing I mean, One of the
5: things that you just said I guess a few minutes ago is that we've kind of gotten what we asked for technologically with the pill but aren't there also some people that view this I guess they, they are on their way to getting what they want I guess socially like the, the changing landscape sexual landscape they view as a positive thing Sure so, Yeah, uh, I
1: hear from them yeah, I mean, so that's,
5: that's what i was going to ask. Like, what has been the reception of some of the things that right. you say from people I'm in like the dark
1: ages. I'm trying to drag women back into the cave. <coughs> yeah. And that is not true. I'm just saying, this is a trade-off, folks. There's no way around it. It just is. Okay, so now we have to figure out how to navigate best... In a new reality, right? Um, some women score and are, you know, get everything they want, you know. But more don't today than used to in some ways. So, or it takes longer to get there, or they make a little more compromises than they wished they had to.
5: So, do do you think that that there's good evidence that says that, or do you? I mean, how, how do people respond to that? Do they just say, like, women don't really know what they want and they're just sort of a product of, like, this sexually repressive culture that's left over from... Um,
1: Who's the they here?
5: Well, the people who would disagree, I guess, that this is a bad thing, that, that this is... Right. Harder. I mean, yeah. the
1: the on the other side, the, the argument is that women have newfound sexual freedom uh-huh. and they get to do whatever they want. And mm-hmm. I, I, I don't disagree. Like, of course they get to do whatever they, They've always been free to do whatever they want, because mm-hmm. sexual demand has always been stable in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but the risks have gone way down, right? The thing that I keep telling people is, like, uh, what you do now is is a predictor of what you do later. And people sort of want to sequester, lots of people, college students, etc. I want to sequester they're action-taking in the 20s and mid-20s to the mid-20s and say, you know, what happens at UT stays at UT and doesn't affect <laughs> what happens later, right? That just doesn't work in the real world and in people's heads and in social systems. I mean, it's, our previous behavior is a very good predictor of future behavior. Predictors, A uh, number of sex partners is, a, is one of the key predictors of whether you'll cheat when you're married, right? Which sort of makes sense, right? So this idea that of settling down, I think, is is more mythical than people would give it credit for. People like they gotta get it all out of the system, and then they'll settle down. You know, mm-hmm. unless they go until their then until their testosterone levels start skidding, which takes a long time. Um, you know, the, the the settling down is not gonna happen like they think it does. I mean, and we see evidence of this, mm-hmm. you know? and this is why congressmen send pictures <laughs> of their. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's a good cue for women. Like, if women don't understand men's sexuality, look at what people of great power are willing to risk for it. Right? It's ridiculous because it's it is not easily controlled. Right? In in an era where you don't have to control it easily, it's not going to be controlled. Right? I mean. Back to a little bit of Freud, right? I mean, civilization is built in part on restraint of the sexual desire.
6: Can you imagine any social or technological changes that might
5: send the price
6: of sex back up? Massive economic
1: collapse, maybe? (laughs) The internet
5: and the pill have driven the price down.
1: Yeah, the pill more than the internet, I suspect. But yeah, it didn't help. Um, you can have to see something that changes that that says that tells women that they need marriage more. And what is that going to be, right? I don't know. Because when I mean, to me, the only thing that if, that curbs any of this is is the the uh, reestablishment of a female cartel about the pricing of sex. Um, People, and th- th- this is ridiculous. Some, some of the criticisms, both from the church and from outside the church, are like, well, men should change. And I'm like, you know what? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I mean, it's not going to happen. The sexual double standard declines, not because men become more like women, but because men become women become more like men or act more like men. Uh, so the answer would be like, whatever brings back this cartel where women have each other's backs rather than they're competing with each other. That's what sort of brings the price of sex back up. I don't see it happening. It's like I feel like we're we're learning how to function with a seriously broken leg. Uh, and I'm not optimistic that it's going to be healed. We can learn how to navigate it. All the things, all the, the, the big ticket items that have, have uh, helped accomplish this that aren't going anywhere, you know. Pills not going anywhere. Porn's not going anywhere. I don't see it. It's frustrating.
4: Are we reaching a new equilibrium, or do we have a lot more... Equilibrium? Along?
1: I don't know that. That's a good question. I think we have a little ways to go. I actually do. I mean, I think the age of marriage continues to rise. The share of women who will never marry is rising. of um, sure, men have Never marrying, it's rising. Not, I mean, well, I shouldn't say not radically, but the, the the percentage of 25 to 35 year olds, sort of peak marrying era, the percentage of them Americans who are are married at any given year has declined one percent per year for 10 years. It's pretty pretty significant. I mean, one percent a year for 10 years. I don't think it will continue at that pace, but I think um I don't think we've leveled off yet. Nor will it, nor will marriage disappear. It will not disappear. It's just I think it's becoming rarer. And I think people are sad about that because I think on average most people want to marry and more women than men want to marry.
4: Um, are you claiming that it's economically stupid for all women to have the marital sex? Economically
1: so stupid, say again?
4: Um, are you claiming that it's economically stupid for all women to have premarital sex? Or just not women? Because if if it, if it it's economically stupid for all of them to do it, I don't understand
1: what they do. You don't understand why they do it. Um, no, not all women would have to say no, but a lot more than currently. Right? I mean, so uh, a, what do they call that? Uh Not the cartel, but the collusion. Collusion, right? Um, the collusion once existed and there was a a group of people, you they're prostitutes that served excessive male demand, right? Um, But they were not a threat to the rest of women because so there was always this group that could that didn't threaten the rest of them. And I'm not saying like I'm not saying till marriage, actually, but, like, I think it, you know, it's the right answer, but something well short of that will still be a major, major improvement, okay? I mean, we're talking a month now. I mean, here I am saying, do we have to wait till marriage? And I'm saying, I'd like to pull it oh, from a month, six weeks, over towards marriage away. Does that make sense? So,
4: I guess I'm asking what the motive is
1: What's the motive? They like it. it. Makes them feel closer to their boyfriend. I mean, I get it, right? I'm not. This has nothing to do with sort of sexual desire on on the part of women. A collusion would have to do with artificially restricting the price against their will for a greater good. Does that make sense? But if it's stupid for each individual
0: woman to do it, what if it's thing? stupid for they may not
1: realize. No, it's not necessarily... I mean, no,
0: necessarily they don't
1: right. certainly think this, right? And there are plenty of success stories, right? There are all sorts of success stories of women who live, do whatever they wish for and then fall in love with a great guy who gets married and they ride off into the sunset, Okay, those... That happens, right? Which furthers the narrative of that no matter what you do before your marriage, it doesn't matter because you can still accomplish... Wherever you want. I mean, there will always be these sorts of stories that we play and that that we we see, we hope for. What we don't hear is the, as many failure stories as there are out there. Tons of failure stories, um, but we don't like failure stories. We like success stories.
4: So you think like educating women about that would change?
2: It's not
1: even changing. Nope. It can't hurt. <laughs> I'm doing it here, <laughs> but I'm back to the few things I just talked about earlier. Until those structural things change, the education is largely pointless. And it can get individual people to recognize the value of what they have, so it's important that way. But um, I'm not optimistic about like making it dent.
6: I was wondering, um, so. Uh, it, it, I don't know if this is so true anymore, but uh, it used to be that there was quite a bit of status if, if a, a man um, could claim to be uh, a sexual conquistador, so to speak. He would mm-hmm. have a status in certain he does. venues. Still true. So do you think there's a and now maybe starting to be a payoff? Uh, you mentioned that women talk about sex a lot more than men. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's maybe a payoff
1: now in that That there's respect? a status builder this, for this, them? That's that they, I don't know. their conquests are of value to each other? Not in quite the same way. I mean, in sort of micro, I mean, there can be friendship networks where it functions that way, but on average, you still see women sort of disparaging other women who sleep around, mm. okay? Just not nearly as strongly as they once did, okay? Men still get kudos from their buddies. By and large, right, or, or at least not penalties, social penalties. Mm. Women may not like it, but they don't complain anymore mm. about their roommates and so forth.
7: I don't know if you can answer this <coughs> question, um, but I don't know either. Well, <laughs> and and maybe other people in the room might know this. So, uh, but you mentioned that you know there's now it seems like more than ever there's more females on college campuses than sure, males. Sure. Yeah what what accounts like, why is that? Because um, many, and I suppose it's certain industries, but many uh, corporations or places of employment will often say, well we're going to try to do more things to kind of pull in women and, and minorities. but um, So if there's more women on college campuses, that, that means that there's going to be more women with degrees or advanced degrees mm-hmm. than, than men. And yet, in certain places of employment, sure. there seem to be more men. So, I, I guess what I'm asking sure. is,
1: sure, there's a lag in, 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 you know, certain industries for sure.
7: But I mean, why? In other words, I guess my question is, why are there more? What account? Do you know what accounts for that? Why are there more women in college
1: right. than men? Um, that is a, a bit of a deeper well. I mean, I think the pill paid off in that sense. I mean, women got. Freed from the household and from marriage to do things they wanted to do, right? Uh, so yeah. lots of them did. Okay, um, but there's also there's, uh, other reasons. But there's one of the reasons. One of the things I'm most interested in is what happened to all the men,
2: right? Yeah, that's
7: kind of what I'm asking. Is you know, it's still, yeah. still, even in our culture, uh, you know, in other words, my perception of it is that. It's still, you know, fine for a woman to maybe stay at home if she has a child and her husband works, but... I think
1: that's a... That you have to be... You have to go against the grain to do that today. Strangely enough.
7: But, I mean, it's still... In other words, the man really couldn't do that. So I'm, I guess I'm asking the same question. There's, what to there's the all
1: sorts of hubbub about, like, stay-at-home men. I just don't think that's going to take... That's not going to catch on in quite the way that people claim it will. Yeah. In part because women really... Most women don't want that. No, I agree.
2: <laughs>
7: yeah, but I, I guess I'm asking your question. Do you know what happened to all the men? Like, I just would assume. I do More men in college. The next book is
1: about know. like the missing bajillion men who aren't in college, <laughs> and where are well, they at, and what are they doing? But
7: okay, I guess that was my question. But <laughs>
1: more, the thing about it that's one of the things that's mis-
6: one of the thing that's misleading about that though is there are more. There's a higher percentage total of people. In the population now that are going to college mm-hmm. than ever before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, actually, there may be more men as a percentage of men sure. going to college. Absolutely. It's just not right. as great as the percentage of women who are now Absolutely. going to college.
2: Mm-hmm. Correct. I, I read
6: some article that speculated, and I have no idea if this is in any way empirically validated whatsoever, but they speculated that uh, a lot of women were motivated to go to college because maybe in the back of their minds or something, they felt that that would improve their economic lot. Mm-hmm. And that was somehow, yeah. re- that was somehow yeah. related to maybe less reliability of having a, a, a male provide that economic security.
1: Right. I mean, yeah. I am not contesting the value of women going to college. I'm a big fan of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and women's participation in the labor force. I'm just saying there's a trade off here with marriage. There just is, whether we want it to happen or not.
3: I guess I was thinking the whole the way through that the breakdown of the family must be playing a part in this too, but I'm wondering if it's a like what is, is the, is the the result Like, where does the breakdown of the family caused, come from? Well, yeah. it's probably, fathers have always been absent throughout, you know,
1: generations. Uh, not so not in the same, <laughs> quite the same way. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Uh won't solve poverty overnight. Um, one of the things that comes to mind is, uh, back to this sex ratio thing, like in the African-American community, like one in nine adult men of reproductive ages in jail, that's going to screw with well, the dynamics happens. at uh, in the community, in <laughs> terms relationships forming. I mean, right. that hands, one in nine, which is huge. I mean, people think tweak, tweaking the sex ratio, but just a little bit does a lot, right? So... Um, the men that remain call the shots. Mm -hmm. Even though the women that remain, you know, they're they're in college at like double the rate or something that African-American men are. Um, It it just doesn't surprise me. So we don't have the sex ratio problem in our broader community. You have it on campuses, but a campus is not a closed sexual network, but a community is, is to some extent. So... What has happened there does not surprise me. Um, I mean, which has made me a fan of not sending people to jail unless they're violent offenders, because taking them out of their community does damage to how families happen. So. Yeah.
8: Yeah. Um, as someone who went to a Christian college and graduated without a spouse, and has three younger siblings who have been or are doing the same do you think that there is a solution to the, I don't know, unwillingness to go out on dates and within Christian circles, within I don't, my own church or within the college that I went to? Do you think there's a solution for that? For the taking dating almost so mm-hmm. seriously or with such
2: mm-hmm.
8: scariness?
7: You could write a book and like have a you know with a male name, and then you know kind of saying like you know reverse the Joshua Harris. Yeah. Period. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, I want
3: there's
2: a book,
1: book. you know and there was a book written in response to so
2: "I'm saying goodbye." Yeah. It's, it's okay. have a um, French my kiss dating today? hello. <laughs> 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 That's a book I have. <laughs> like. it's,
3: it's actually really good. It was. All right. Henry, it's by Henry Cloud, and it's
2: called How to Find a Date Worth Keeping.
0: I'll write it down. I'm going to piggyback off but of Dorea's um, question, and um, you were mentioning earlier how women in the church receive more shame than men for uh, I said their, they receive it, they feel it. Like... They feel more shame. Uh, <coughs> I also think that women in the church experience um, more angst and sometimes feelings of shame for wanting the normative experience and are told that they're making, marriage an idol. Um, why is that the case right. instead of the young men being told yeah. you're, you're making I singleness or you're protracted, you're right. protracted um, and adolescence an idol?
5: I think that's a, I think that's happened also like I mean I have read several articles where I think Al Mohler in particular I can think of an article or a blog that he wrote. But that's complaining about like how young men are are extending. But if those it are articles, I mean, there yeah. is there's, yeah, there's yeah, an, entire
0: culture, <laughs> an entire culture,
1: an entire culture. I mean, I think people. Part of the, the making marriage an idle impulse, as a reason would be sort of a response to, there's a problem. We don't know what to do with it, do about it. And so it can't be our fault. So we, it has to be their fault. But right? why
0: is it? I'm saying, the tendency is to tell. Women end up feeling shame yes. instead right. of pressure or you right. know advice. I
1: you know, I don't see why anybody should say I mean, that's why I criticize the singleness as a gift movement. I mean, singleness is a gift if you want to be single, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, we We latch on to such reasons because we don't know we feel like our hands are tied. Marriages aren't happening, even though people want it, so we think. It must not be God's will, or you must be making. I mean, something must be wrong with you. And here I am saying the system is broken, people. Mm -hmm. And uh, but nobody wants to hear a system-level problem. You know, I mean, because systems aren't easily altered, even though the system is where this is the action is happening. Mm -hmm. Right. So the best I do is sort of contest, sort of. God talk on that as being flat wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, does God really want people to marry later and fewer people to marry than He did 30 years ago? I mean, wh- did He? Wh- I didn't miss <laughs> that memo.
0: Well, I, I'm with you.
4: Well, I just have to say that I went to Baylor for undergrad and stuff, very, very familiar with what y'all are saying. But we have to remember too, if let's say equilibrium is a good marriage, how before.
5: Who's to say all these were good marriages before? Who's to say all oh, of these are a good relationships? Right. Now we're real? talking
1: about a different thing. Quality of marriage. We'll, well I'll move I'll, this into oh, okay. a different conversation.
5: Okay, so changing
4: that. Which thing.
1: is fine. Just know well, that saying, you're doing
4: it. I feel like to, the, I hear an assumption in here that marriage is a good thing. And that's, a lot of, all of this is built on that. Right. And that's, I'm not always sure marriage is a good thing you uh, You're right, I switched. To interpersonally, apology.
1: marriage is a good thing or structure, sort of social structure? Personally, he thinks
2: it's a good thing. <laughs> 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 no, I mean, I would say socially,
1: it's a good thing. I mean, socially, marriage is a good thing. It's the optimal setting for child rearing, and children are going to come whether we're married or not.
4: Well, exactly.
1: And so, this is why I push marriage, and I don't get too warp, wrapped up in sort of quality of marriage arguments, even though when I say people should get married in their 20s, blah, 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 everybody hears marriage quality stuff, right? And they'll say, oh, if you can get married at 22, you're going to have a sucky marriage. I'm like, well, but, no, there's no guarantee of that. But two, I'm not talking about quality people. I'm talking about doing the things But also, that.
0: Jeremy Eckert, you... He just published an article that was saying the cohort that was in like the yeah, I mean the, the sweet spot is supposedly in the yeah, that the most satisfying marriages were yeah, the which, individuals who had gotten married in their young to right. mid twenties.
1: Yeah. I, I do wonder, like it's I, mean, just I just can just see why that might be true, uh, although like it, it, it's uh tricky to to stick a like a it'll be gr- it'll be better over the long haul if you get this four year window. You know. But, mean? The, the data say that. Yeah. And I'm not uh, contesting it. He's my co-author. It's just, um, <laughs> I'd be more com- I'm more comfortable talking about, like, do they last? Yeah. Then are they blissful? <laughs> <laughs> I think, be, well, part of the reason we're talking about blissful is because people don't settle for mm-hmm. standard marriage anymore. I mean, it's got to be good or it's not worth trading your independence for. Women, mm-hmm. especially, I think, would say that. Some level.
8: Um, just to sort of piggyback on that, I think some of it with all society, I mean, we're always looking for the next high. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, Christian culture and secular culture has sort of created marriage or an exclusive relationship or a multiple people relationship as being, you know, the ultimate good. Mm-hmm. Or in a way, you, you have to be looking for that wonderful one, and if you can't find right. that,
1: right. then. I mean, I can't. You, you can't go back in time to. I mean, marriage standards are higher today. Like mm-hmm. our, our we're pushing it off, but for lots of reasons. But we expect more of it than our grandparents did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I have a better marriage than my grandparents did. Mm-hmm. But I'll be. I'm glad they stayed married, mm-hmm. even though I don't know if they would have today. You mean? you mean? So, I like to keep the discussions of sort of marriage. Duration lasting, mm-hmm. separate from marriage. Is one my marriage is wonderful? Discussions mm-hmm. because, uh, yeah, I mean because once upon a time we just needed the thing itself, mm-hmm. okay, and now we don't need the thing itself, so we're talking about
7: quality. Yeah. Uh, I was just going back to the ratio thing of 57 percent forty-two. I wonder how much of that is due to an actual change in the gender balance of birth. Of the Shouldn't. And no,
1: I don't think there's been a, sex ratio at birth is, is <coughs> still, it should be 105, 105 <coughs> women for every 100 men. But sex ratio by age 27 or 30 has, it dips down to e- equilibrium. Because okay. there's a bunch of nut job teenage men who take themselves out. I <laughs> 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 Honestly, like, uh, accident rates. <laughs> They're risk takers, but that's what men do, right? And some don't make it. <laughs> I, know, Goodbye,
2: <laughs> I, it
1: I don't think that, I mean, we're not into the sex selective abortion in the United States yet. It's coming, I guarantee it.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Coming in which way? Which way? Mm-hmm.
2: Like girls?
1: No? No, I think it would, it might be the other way, stranger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which yeah. We, it be even worse for women. Because yeah. I mean, women go yeah. to
0: college, they get jobs, they do all the mm-hmm. other markers respect. of adulthood. The, 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 early, the
1: early reports on yeah, people who can sex-selectively conceive, mm-hmm. not abort, to conceive, they're more likely to pick yeah. girls. It's work.
7: So, you've done a lot of research on the general U.S. population. Mm-hmm. Have you looked at populations where that ratio is different?
1: For instance, That's ratio with engineering co- engineering colleges or China right. or India where yeah. they have very yeah. wide right. spread. Um, colleges where yeah. men are more, there's a there's a table on that in the book. Colleges where men are make up a greater share of the student body, I mean, women are less likely to lose their virginity, they're more likely to uh, think more positively about the men on campus, I mean, all sorts of things.
7: Probably the guys get in the fights more too, right? But that's that doesn't
1: that's not that doesn't affect women. So, so I mean, <laughs> true. <laughs> but, <you know>. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
7: Women are of guys. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. No. <laughs>
5: Would you say? Were
7: you saying that you thought the lowering of the price of sex was the chief
8: factor in the raising of uh, the age of marriage, the average age of for men and women, um,
1: did you kind of make that partner, that part
8: that? or would you say it's the chief factor or chief
1: variable? It's certainly an important one. I mean, it's not a manipulative decision that people make. I mean, people make decisions about marrying, but they don't make conscious decisions about pricing sex, so to speak. But yeah, it it plays a role because. Maybe. Do you have any other factors that would
7: push the average marriage
1: marriage up? Education. Pill does.
8: Education. Absolutely. Education. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My husband and I are in doctoral school.
1: There you go. (laughs) David. We can't get married yet because we have homework to do or something. You (laughs) perceive that's foolish. It is, well, parents don't want you to do it. I mean, everybody's saying you're crazy. Uh, um, All of it is like, there's, you know, People have grand visions of big weddings, we can't afford it, so there's... The only stable thing that has been true over time is sort of perceptions of m- male's ability to provide. That has always been sort of the benchmark, which is why men have historically always gotten married at older ages than women. Typically, it used to be a lot older, I mean, four years on average difference, 100, 120 years ago. Now there's only like a year and a half average age difference.
6: David Friedman, the, he was a son of the uh, Milton Friedman, uh, post, uh, the Nobel uh, economist. He, he wrote a book called Hidden Order, and in one chapter he talks about wedding rings, diamond wedding rings. how uh, They were very popular, say in the 30s, when uh, chastity was highly valued. And if a woman got engaged, then her chastity could be come into question then, and if the man just walked, then her life could be ruined by that. So as a guarantee, he would give her a very expensive wedding ring. That's very then if, interesting. Then if he walked, she still at least had that rock. So it was like a, a down payment, sort of. It makes and, sense to me. And he says nowadays there are a lot fewer expensive oh. wedding rings you know, being given out mm-hmm. because that's no longer a, a yeah, reputation for Yeah, that probably would have worked owner, better,
1: better among the more elite in, in the day, but it's... It, It makes sense. Mm
7: -hmm. There's a lot more Diamond Ring commercials than (laughs) Jerry's. The The barrels. At least that's what I've done. Um,
8: When you said that the net amount of marriages is decreasing in this country?
1: Net amount. Um, (laughs) Not the amount, but the the rate and the percent. Okay. As, as the population increases, the number should stay. Should increase, no, thanks, like you, the rate and the percent have okay. declined. So it's
8: not rising at the rate that it used to, which Correct. generally means there are more single people.
1: There are more single people. I think there are more single people than married people in the U.S. Yeah.
8: now. Like okay. 50-50, 51-49. 50, so when you're including marriage, this is not going to be popular with people.
4: But are you including, like, gay marriages, too, or is that outside of?
1: When I include what?
4: When you count marriages and the rate of marriage.
1: These would be official statistics, so I bet you they would make a fraction of the difference. Yes. Yeah. like I think it's very, very, very
7: few.
0: And only in a
1: few states. And I don't even, I mean, I usually use, yeah, I don't know that, I don't even know how census is collecting them. Since there's such a, a, a minority here, I don't even. It's a minority of a population, and then the marrying ones among them are even a more minority. So yeah. they don't make a statistical blip at all. Sorry. Okay. Which, I mean, from a, the Battle of a Gay Marriage standpoint, it's like stunning to see how a blip of a small of percentage of yes. people can, can put a stranglehold on the country. So. Yeah. Um, it seems like your data
2: indicates that women
4: act against their own self interest. If they them- want
1: marriage. Yeah, um. I, I, I think that they're, they're, it's they're, they're not a conscious yeah. it's not a conscious thing but yeah if they want marriage and they want to not have lots of sexual relationships prior to it and they don't want to cohabit for long I think they are acting against their interests not all of them but enough of them that the minority gets hamstrung in what it wishes for
4: and do you think it's because they don't understand
1: what's going on? Like, if you're excited, i um, I think plenty of them understand it. It's just, it's out of their. It's out of. Yeah. It's a collective problem is out of individuals' hands, right? I mean, so there's a lot of women who get it and can't do the thing about it. Except they can only control their own behavior or maybe their immediate peers and friends. But, uh, out women. in the pool, it's. Women are thinking
3: that they're using sex to get the upper hand over the. That that's so that's, doesn't work that way. That's the lie. It just doesn't. But they're they're thinking they're getting what they want by using something in the wrong way, but it backfires. I think that's what.
1: Yeah. I mean, withholding sex gives you the upper hand. Giving it does not. I mean, it just it doesn't, because it's the thing of value, and to trade it for what are you trading it for? I mean, it just There's a, it doesn't
6: work. When I lived in Houston, there was a preacher named Ben Young, and uh, I think he's in Dallas now. He had a radio show. About every other sentence he would say, you know, men are thinking, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free?
1: So. There is some logic to that old wisdom. I hear that occasionally. I wasn't going to be so bold as to put it in the book myself. (laughs) (laughs) You
7: say you heard it on the radio. Have you read Men in
1: Marriage? Stephen Knox. No, um, Men and Marriage. I can't remember the name of the author. That's yeah,
2: marriage
1: I and probably and have. Life. It. I should. I'll write it down. I'm moving into the sort of the study of men's behavior. It's
3: more. interesting. I, I don't think I've actually read the whole book, but the <laughs> foreword talks about just the story of the, the princess and the prince, and, and it, it starts telling it from a kind of 60s perspective. And how the princess goes off in the forest and fools around, you know. It's just so ironic how it loses every ounce of romance. And you know, just this this free love, you know, princess. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. no beauty in the story at all.
8: It's just, it's kind of funny to. You know, I'll check it out. One last our,
1: question, our, Mary our
4: Jane. Um, you say women are the gatekeepers. Women ought to be. The well, they are. They are. They is don't that, necessarily function that, that way. Is that how God made us, or is I that think function so. we took on after the fall?
1: Well, not having been there, <laughs> I mean, I think to say that it is a tip, only a post-fall thing would be to say that men and women are fundamentally alike from the beginning. I don't know. We're not. I yeah. agree. We're not. Sorry. Yeah, I would say that I I'm not a theologian, but um I think the difference there is is old.
4: But what would what would you tell your son? If she doesn't
1: put the gate up, you're free? Um yeah. no. No. I mean my Son, as a sort of a, uh, so I talk about this around the house, right? Because <laughs> it's what I study. But he has, at the moment he has such an aversion to the topic that it <laughs> makes me a little nervous. That you know, he's he has so completely closed himself off to, to conceiving of this with a woman someday. So I need to sort of work him back into. This, you know, this is a good thing, under certain circumstances, and here. But I'm, I worry about him less, in part because, uh, I mean, his personality first of all, but also sort of, um, just you worry about men less because they less is at stake for them. Does it make sense?
4: Sure, they're not going to get pregnant. I
1: mean, it, it, so you, yeah. so it's functionally you worry less about them. You, morally you can worry about them all equally but uh, um, you know you, you teach him to be a gentleman and things like that I do not know how he'll respond to women who are willing yeah i mean that's so would that's a problem
4: teach, you would teach your children because even if trying, look there's a double standard get used to it there's a serious double standard when it comes to sex. Girls, the burdens
1: on you. I will teach them that it exists, and it's not going away by their own will um and that women and men have different risks surrounding sex emotionally, physically, etc. Women have more at stake um but the onus is on him to treat women better right, yeah, so I wind up worrying about girls more because we all do because they have. There's more at stake for them, generally speaking. And especially today, more than even 30 years ago, because now they compete with each other, which is poisonous. Well, I think
4: there's more at stake now because of sexually disease, which you're yeah. not to disease. Yeah. I did not talk about that much.
1: Mm-hmm. I have a section in the book on that. But it, I have a, yeah. Good point. Well, thank you. All right, you're welcome. Thank you. yeah. <laughs>